everybody, and welcome back to Point of Origin, episode 33, the show where, there's no joke, this episode is just fucking questionable. <laughs> On several, uh, levels. <laughs> I mean, it's weird, I, I don't hate it. I don't. I have a lot of I question marks it. on my notes. Yeah, I have so many. Like, the kind of, like, multiple question marks, like the angry one. <laughs> yeah, I have a ton of question marks and a bunch of ellipses. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, okay, so, I'm gonna get straight to this part of this. Uh, today's episode is uh, the Toker part one. Yeah, and we are? Oh, yeah, Mel. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mel. I, well, I was gonna make a point about something, but yeah, yeah, I'm Mel. <laughs> and I'm Liz. Like we said at the end of last week, today we're doing the Toker Part 1, uh, which there's always issues with Part 1s of part, two-parters to begin with, but the the writer and director for this episode, we have the writer is Glasner. Who's not bad, usually. No, except he decided to do absolutely no research for this yeah. episode at all. Like, on a few fronts. It's weird. I'm not sure who'd be more, like, confused, angry with here. Him or with uh, the director you're gonna name in a sec because of the uh, other thing I'm gonna rage about in a moment. Oh, yeah. So, there's, honestly, okay, so the director is Brad Turner, and I'm pretty sure we've had him before. Um, I'm actually gonna yeah. look that up, because his name sounds familiar. Yeah. He did Hathor. Oh, never mind. This is a different guy entirely. I'm thinking of, uh, <laughs> that this, this motherfucker. That looks to be the only thing he's done, so. It's weird that they brought him back for this one. Like, uh, I yes, wonder what I don't their algorithm see him again is. After the Tok'ra. I don't. I don't see him again after the Tok'ra. I think... Oh, wait, no. He comes back for Crystal Skull. Oh, no. What? What? Like, he does Skull. Crystal don't Skull? Do what the fuck? Okay, I have... S this is why this episode's questionable. This is so confusing to me. How is he so weirdly bad at something? He... Whew... He dropped the directing ball several times. <laughs> wait, 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 Mel. Mel, this might huh? actually be a bit of a disturbing theme. So, I don't know about you, but now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like maybe uh, Nicholas might be portrayed in a very questionable to the mentally, uh, to any mental disorder. Uh, his portrayal might be kind of questionable. Now that I think about it, this might not, that, that episode may not age well in that perspective. So I'm yeah, wondering because not. of there's something else that's going to piss off a host of communities in a bit at the end of, um, yeah, towards the end of this episode. So I'm just realizing, oh, hmm, yeah, like, weird I don't thematic know. element there, maybe. I don't want to be too judgmental because... I'm going to be a little I, I don't, no, I, I am going to be. <laughs> like I said, I have a lot of angry question marks in these notes. But like, and I'm not saying that this is an excuse, but uh -huh. we do have to remember that this was the late 90s. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, we've been touching there, that before. <laughs> and there wasn't as much discussion of this, or even acknowledgement that research needed to be done. Oh, yeah, that's... You're not wrong. I mean, I can't remember the name right now of the movie, but it's, uh, depending on who you who you speak to, it's either a really good, you know, portrayal or a really bad portrayal, but it's the Edward Norton and, uh, Richard Gere. There we go. Richard Gere plays the lawyer, and Edward Norton plays the young man with dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not. And the movie's oh, actually no. really... No, it's actually really good. Oh, yeah. I actually do enjoy it, because... Uh, so, spoiler alert here, they find out he has DID, and that, that's why he actually did commit the murder, it just wasn't him, it was the other guy. Mm -hmm. um, and so they threw out the trial, and they can't use that as an insanity defense, because they've already put in their plea. Uh... So the lawyer has to um, snap the guy into his, you know, mode, so he does it in the middle of the trial, and the guy ends up ta attacking the other lawyer, and it's, that's how they're able to, you know, call a mistrial and start for a new trial. 
mm-hmm. to get him the help that he needs. And it's a really fucking good movie, I think, I think, because at the end, he goes to talk to Edward Norton in the cell, and that's when he reveals that it was always a play, and he thought the lawyer was in on it. Oh! That he played the lawyer. He's just that much of a sociopath. Nice. No, not, not a sociopath, he's a psychopath. I was about to, while you were talking, I was like, I'm still not sure about this because I don't like the whole thing about mentally ill being being dangerous. <laughs> that's excellent. No, you giving me that ending, I'm like, okay, that, that that's good. I actually saw it as part of a school project um, in my huh. AP psych class. But here's the thing, I um, thankfully I can kind of, I, I say I'm allowed to, you know, kind of say here in this episode, this is why I bring this up, this episode really fucks up when they say schizophrenia, because schizophrenia oh, runs yeah. in my family. And as you know, I hear phantom sound. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I heard schizophrenia and I went, wow, you don't even fucking know anything. No. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. The second she said schizophrenia, I was already like, oh boy. And yeah. then she started describing it, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so the whole reason why I brought up is it's not meant to be a, you know, he's crazy and therefore he's innocent kind of thing. It's meant no. to be this other story. And it's a great representation of what actually DID is. And, you know, so this is a super long-winded grievance, but... Mm. <laughs> but, like, on the other hand, like I said, again, not an excuse... But back in the '90s, that was that was a common mistake right. between those exactly. two words. I don't. Uh, back in the '90s, it was still called multiple personality disorder, wasn't it? Yeah. That, to be fair, people still call um, bipolar manic depression. So I mean, yeah. Well, you're you're totally right with the '90s thing. That's actually one of the reasons why I brought up the movie was because up until this episode being aired, pretty much I think there's really only like one quote unquote solid example of that kind of disorder being discussed in any way, and that's it. One movie. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's not, it wasn't talked about. And again, it's not like it's really talked about now. I have like one more example and that's the United States of Tara. And that's a show that yeah. only lasted like three years, I think. Well, I mean, and, and look at even today we have split. Yeah. His performance was good. I have so his many, performance was so very many questions good, for the rest of that. But it falls into that horrible zone of demonizing the affliction. Yeah. I mean, hell, the Joker movie, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. I mean, they just perpetuated the fucking hell out of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. This episode isn't really uh, guilty of any of these terrible things we're talking about. No! But because it makes us think of them, we hate it. No, it's just guilty of um, not doing research. Of, yeah. I was trying to think of a word, but ignorance. It's guilty of ignorance. I mean, I hate that some people will say, like, well, yeah, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Google didn't exist. I'm like, fuck you. Books did. Books did. And they've <laughs> clearly done research on other things. Like, you were just talking about the whole thing with Shaude, mm-hmm. how you looked into, like, the um, the l- pregnancy coming in early and everything, and how yeah, that actually made hormones. medical sense and everything. Yeah. It's like, we know there's been research done for this show. You yeah. can't say Google didn't exist yeah, as an no, excuse right. for not doing research. It doesn't matter how long ago you were writing a show. If you mm-hmm. are writing a show, you need to do research on what you're writing about. Unless you're creating this world whole clock out of your mind. That is the only time you don't have to do research. Unless you are literally the source of all the lore, then eh. That's one instance where it can be like, fine. But this isn't that case. No. Alright, but are we ready to launch into this thing? Yes. My first note is, we're opening with flashbacks, okay. (laughs) This is the first time we've done this. Yeah, I have um, a bit of a mixed feeling about this intro because, yeah, starting on flashback is, you know, kind of a weak storytelling device. 
It really is. That's why I was saying we've never had one of these before. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is because they've um they've done like previously on at least once, but this didn't have that. It didn't have the, any narration. It just started off with images. The one time we had a previously on was when we started season two. Yeah, a recap. And it, it had been a season, so yeah, it yeah. made sense for us to do a recap. Secrets happened, what, two episodes ago? Yeah, no, it was weird. This whole thing was weird. It was. I felt it was more like them trying to pat themselves on the back, like going like, look, guys, we had all this continuity, which up until this, up until this episode, we were actually kind of giving them that pat in the back, like, look at all this continuity they're putting in. Mm -hmm. But they did that, and they. it's weird where they don't trust the audience. I know, especially because, like I said, Secrets was like two episodes ago. It's like, yeah. you don't think we would remember that. And then all the stuff with Joel and her, yeah, Joel and her have it a little more while ago. But then the episode actually starts with Sam having a memory of Joel and ours. And it's like, hey, you know, this opening right here, that's an alpha of a recap. So between Jacob happening, happening two episodes ago and this little dream memory flashback that Sam has to start the episode, we didn't need this this previously on flashback stuff. It was clunky and yeah, kind no, of insulting was. to the viewers, I felt. Yep. But yeah, so the episode actually starts. Yeah, sorry. So when you said flashback, I thought you were talking about this flashback where she no. has a memory of John. No, I wanted to complain about the previously on mm, first. Yeah. <laughs> My first note is literally, are we going to address the scantily clad blonde in the vision flashback that Sam has? I like how the Tokra have time to keep I don't know, concubines around? I don't know what the fuck was up with that. I, I choose to move on. <laughs> I don't know. But that happens, then you have, you know, she's running down the hallway, you see... Martouf. J.R. Bourne. Mm -hmm. Dude, he is the only reason why I kept watching The Hundred. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was so over and done that show. I was done. I actually stopped watching it a season prior, but then I saw the promos with him in it, and I was like, well, fuck. And then I had to watch the previous season because I had no idea what was happening. He was one of the reasons I kept watching Teen Wolf. <laughs> but yeah, see, we, we keep distracting ourselves from this episode because we don't want to be in it. So. Yeah, and I have to do another recording. Yeah, in two and so let's hours. do this shit. So, uh, she runs into Martouf, and they're obviously on the run. Uh, from yes. something or someone. Something's attacking them. don't really them. get any real... They're just under attack. Yeah, probably the goal. And he's like, hey, dial out through the choppa eye. And so you see, we get like a point of view shot of her doing all of the uh, all of the symbols so yep. that she knows where they've gone. Mm -hmm. That's an important part of it. Yep. <laughs> and then after dialing through the gate and the gate opens, she turns to a convenient mirror near the gate. Just to check your clothes before you travel, I guess? I don't know. So, sometimes that mirror thing can be really well done. Uh, point in fact, I don't know if you- have you seen Altered Carbon yet? No. Okay, well, don't bother. It got cancelled because the second season- Anthony Mackie was great, it wasn't like they didn't try, but fuck me, that second season was awful. Uh, the first season, though, was really good, and it had- fuck me, me and names today. I want it- yeah, Joel Kinnaman, who people give a bad rap, I think he's a good actor, and mm -hmm. so on. But one of the concepts of Altered Carbon is that, you know, it's uh, your, your mind, brain, whatever can get transplanted into multiple bodies. Yeah. Uh, not all at the same time, but you can just, you know, you can trade them out. And as a result, it's kind of hard to, like, remember who you are. And there's a really excellent use of mirrors in that show where he does this thing where, where he needs to reacclimate himself to a new body. He'll look into the mirror and he won't see his new body at first because his brain doesn't want to accept it, so he'll see the yeah. old one. And he does this thing where it's really cool as part of his training. He'll scream, like really like thunderous, sonorous cry at the mirror. And it kind of like, in his mind, kind of like shakes and trembles and finally shatters into his new face. Huh. And that's how he literally jolts himself into his new life. 
and it's really well done. And that's how I know even a really tired old fucking trope can be done well. Yeah. It even, even dare I say, somewhat fresh. Somewhat. I mean, it's still somewhat. a mirror. You, know, you can only do something, you can only do so much new shit with a reflection. So yeah, this is exactly, whatever the exact fucking opposite of that excellent use could be, it's this. <laughs> it is this. It is this right here. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's, it's so, so beyond convenient, it hurts. I, I tried to do a U where I had to make it just not as dumb to me, so I desperately told myself, okay, maybe it's just her manifesting herself into the memory to make herself less dissociative. Maybe. But yeah, that's all I got. Yes, that's the only thing you really can... You know did what we I forget synopsis? Did we, do not, did we not do the synopsis? No, but I honestly don't care. I'm over these synopses. <laughs> oh my god, no, we gotta do it real fast, come on. Uh, they're so bad, though. Yeah, but we're 20 minutes in and we haven't even talked about what this episode technically is about yet. <laughs> okay. Captain Carter unwillingly becomes the host to a dying toker. What? But what? what? She she did episodes ago. <laughs> this is why I said we shouldn't read the synopsis. You weren't kidding, Jesus. <laughs> Captain Carter unwittingly unwillingly becomes the host to a dying tokra, a member of a resistance whose noble goal is to overthrow the evil gold empire. Now no she sees goal. through the tokra's eyes, but can her visions help the SG-1 team save the tokra? What? Okay, so there's a lot wrong with that. Number one of which being All of that, it! All yeah, of right? it! <laughs> I'm just gonna point out that the tokra themselves pretty much fucking admit immediately that they don't actually want to overthrow the empire, they just want to replace the system lords with a better system. Uh-huh, uh-huh, They have uh -huh. no interest in overthrowing it. To be fair, anarchy isn't really always the way. It kind of makes sense. No. They're just, you know, gonna do less of the torture thing. But they're still kind of, you know, snake people. So they still kind of want to run things. They still kind of want to maintain things. Well, they definitely want to run things. We'll yeah. get into it when we, like, get exactly. to the Tok'ra. Like, yeah. Phew. So... I have a lot of problems with the Tok'ra, especially early on. <laughs> right. But yeah, there's just a lot wrong there because that's like, no, the, the characters themselves literally say the opposite of that synopsis piece. Like, 30 also, seconds to, to, to save the Tok'ra, sorry? Yeah, right? It's like, oh, I think boy. you mean save a Tok'ra, I don't maybe. know if the people who wrote these synopses actually watched the episodes. I, I'm starting to doubt. Based on all of the problems in this episode, I feel like there was several levels of disconnect. You know what it is? Hmm. The person who wrote this synopsis watched Sam's uh, memory, dream memory, at the beginning. And that's it. You can write that synopsis from the dream memory alone. It's like the people who did the uh, theme for Madoka Magica. All they yes. knew was that was about magical girls. Uh, so Sam looks into the mirror, sees herself in the reflection, wakes up, and it's clear that like they were doing this on purpose, whatever they were doing. They never explain yeah. what they were Which trying to I do here, Which I actually kind of like. We just see her wake up with like the little nodes attached to her head. It seemed, that's funny to me, this is actually like my first and last time that I'm not going to complain as much, because to me it was, um, it looked like they were doing, um, basically a deep meditation thing, where that's why, um, you know, Jack says his bullshit later, he's like, are you sure it wasn't a dream? Is because the only way that would be applicable is if they weren't doing, like, deep brain stimulation, but rather just, like, a deep meditative state where she goes into her brain, whatever. Oh no, here's the thing, like, I assumed that's what they were doing, but they also don't mention at all what they were doing. We just cut to the briefing after. You'll notice that I often bitch about them not explaining things, but this actually, for me, for once, isn't... I just wish the rest of the episode had kind of stayed with that thematic yeah. feel instead of just immediately going down several different routes at once and not achieving any of them. <laughs> yes. Honestly, the fact that they didn't explain anything is probably a strength, considering it's clear Glasner did no research for this episode. If they had decided to try to explain what they were doing, he probably would have gotten it wrong. Yeah. 
Because we already saw how they felt about ECT in Family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Electric uh, convulsive therapy is not is not that. <laughs> no. God, no. So okay, cool. Yeah, that whole intro, by the way, kind of feels like the flashback part, the Joel in our memory, feels kind of like a video game intro more than anything. It really does. You know what? It, it really... I've mentioned it a couple times. Um, the episode in the future where Teal'c is in that virtual reality thing. Yeah. It feels a lot like that. The opening yeah. for that. Yeah. I, I know they're trying, but it's just never quite achieved well. No. So they're debriefing afterwards, and she's describing what she saw. And Jack, like you said, is like, well, are you sure it wasn't a dream? And then Sam says it's real. And then Jack dismissively calls it ESP. So here's the thing. I know that he's, you know, supposed to be wrong here, obviously, but yeah. dear lord, do I feel his tone. I'm just gonna kind of get something out of the way here. I think I've kind of touched on this before in a few episodes prior, but for anybody, you know, who's, um, you know, just, just tuning in now on this episode, I, uh, I, 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 I want to say no disrespect intended, but obviously my next words are gonna probably just counteract all of that. <laughs> I do not believe in ESP. When I say I don't believe in ESP, it's because ESP is not scientifically possible for the human brain at this point in time. I don't believe in the metaphysical. I believe in brains. I believe in brains. <laughs> I believe in people who use <laughs> their brains, brains. In, in spectacular ways. Sometimes they even do it unknowingly. So I can believe somebody might think they're psychic because they turn out, turns out they're actually kind of a secret mentalist and they just are really fucking perceptive. I'm very, very sorry for all the people I just kicked off of our show with that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just, it's not, I'm not saying it's not technically possible. I mean, I don't know everything, but at this moment in time, I'm pretty fucking sure that ESP actually existed. This would be something that was more than just like Long Island Medium on TLC. This would actually be an industry or a real world thing, but it isn't. So I feel Jack's tone so hard with the ESP thing because I too am just kind of like, uh-huh. I actually managed to keep that pretty quick. Insulting, but go. quick. So basically, the like I pointed out when she was having the dream, she had a good, nice POV shot of all the symbols to dial the gate to wherever they were escaping to. So they have a planet they can try and check out. And uh, I do think it's good characterization here where both Jack and Daniel are hesitant to trust them. Yeah, they're like, uh, should we? <laughs> yeah, they're both the most uh, naysay about this because they're like, because neither of them like gold. I mean, like, nobody likes gold, but Jack and Daniel have, like, the strongest feelings about well, it. Well, yeah, that makes sense. They're both the ones who have lost the most in the room, anyway. Mm -hmm. Current. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. Technically, Teal'c's probably lost the most, but we don't talk about him because he's not important. No, 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 no. no. But speaking of Teal'c, we are going to talk about Teal'c because when they express their hesitance, Teal'c points out that the Tok'ra are a known resistance to the gold. It's something that, like, the gold talk about, that these people stand against them. Yep. So if they think they know where to find the Tok'ra, it's probably a good thing to go look for them. Yep. And Jack decides to trust Sam's instincts and approves the mission. His Hammond was basically like, look, Jack will only go if you're if you approve it as well. He looks at Sam and then approves it. I like that scene because it's just, it communicates without actually having to say it. Because Hammond says, Jack, I'll only send you through if you approve it. And Jack looks at Sam and then approves it. And that's right there, you know, he trusts her feelings on this. Oh yeah. It is good, you know, character development at the very least. Yeah. And, like, you could have had a more clumsy person have Jack actually say out loud, I trust her right. on this. We don't need that. We don't need that. Him looking at her before he decides, yes, we'll do it, says that. Pretty much the first and last time discretion is used, I think, in this episode. Yeah, God. 
so as they're heading off, they're all geared up and everything and heading towards the gate. Sam asks for like a second to do something and Jack's like, we're leaving in five minutes. She's like, yeah, that's fine. That's all I need. Oh. Well, uh, actually, he does say leaving in ten and I love her response because she says only need five. Oh, there we go. Because she knows her dad. <laughs> um, so what she does is she splits off into another room to call her dad. And you can t- you don't hear his... This is another moment of good discretion here. We don't hear Jacob's side of the conversation at all. Yeah, you don't need to. plenty from Sam's side. We understand he's still being a jerk. <laughs> he's still being horrible. Because he's basically... You can tell from the way she's talking to him... That, like, he's still being, like, dismissive of oh yeah her concerns and everything. She starts to talk to him, then you see Hammond kind of cluing in a little, and then you see her talking to him for, like, another minute. That, that was enough time for me to write two distinct notes, and they are as follows. Dick! And my next note, Dick! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Those are good notes. Those are useful notes. <laughs> Just based all on her reactions, because he is such a dismissive fucker. Uh, yeah, and you can, like, see Sam, like, getting a hurt from this conversation. Yeah. I'd never wish a go old on any money, but if the Toka were to <laughs> ever, if the Toka were to, were to ever just be like, well, he's close enough to a volunteer on anybody, I would, I would choose, I would, I would volunteer Jacob as tribute. Yeah, that's fair. Like we said, uh, he's much more tolerable with a Tokra, which is wild. <laughs> so, I love the fact that after she hangs up on Jacob, like, Hammond approaches her, because Hammond is a good fatherly figure and sees mm-hmm. that she's upset, but he's also kind of conflicted because he's got that friendship with Jacob, so he's right. trying to, like, soothe it between them. Yeah, poor Hammond, stuck in the middle. I know, but I do like the, <laughs> I do like the irony of the fact that he says that Jacob is, has an apartment in town here to be closer to Sam. And yet. And yet on the phone... He was clearly pushing her away the whole time. It's like, Jacob, make up your fucking mind. Yeah, it's because he wanted to do that thing where he gets to pretend he's the, you know, protector by watching her from afar. He gets to have everything he needs and wants taken care of while fucking over his kid. It's great. Yeah. He's an emotional fucktwat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, so he's trying to, like, soothe her and everything and reassure her that Jacob cares. You know, something Uh, her own dad should be telling her, not his friend. Right? I I do think he meant well with what he says as she's leaving, but I'm like, this is not the time to do it, Hammond. Right, my nose is pretty similar. As she's leaving, he says, you're more like your dad than you'd like to admit. Insulting her isn't the, isn't the way I hear, man. <laughs> right? I know he meant well, because again, like we've said, he's friends with Jacob, so he probably sees all of the minute good sides of Jacob. But yeah, so the team goes through. They come out in open desert. There's nothing anywhere. There's just like a dune in the distance. A dune There's in no... the distance. A dune. Um, oh, dune. No dune. Prints. Nothing. They're like, I guess we'll we'll walk. See if we see anything. I tried looking it up to see where they filmed. I think it's just one of the quarries that's around Vancouver because it's definitely not White Sands. It's definitely not uh, the Arizona desert. So it's just like some random little dirt piles place. They did a good job of making it look like actual desert dunes. Though. Yeah, I had a lot of questions about it because honestly, it was it was more intriguing than what was going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, they're in the desert. They're walking, and while they're walking in the sand. At one point, just they stop in a location that just happens to be where a whole bunch of people were lying in wait because they pop out of the sand. Dear director, you have control 
over the timing in your scenes. Mm -hmm. You can choose to have them do their weird little bit of dialogue literally any time before they walk into the little ambush. Yeah. It, 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 coincidence, thy name is Brad Turner and I don't like you. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think he thought he was being clever with it. What? How? Because the little bit of dialogue includes where they're talking about how there's no footprints or any, like, evidence of, of activity there. And but that's Teal, why I'm bitching, because it's like, the that's last so fucking convenient. Where they pop out of the sand is Teal says, yes, they're known for being able to disappear, or something along those lines. And then, like, right after he says that they're really good at being sneaky, they pop out of the sand surrounding him. So I thought he was thinking, I think he was thinking, like, ah, you see? You see that? Yeah, I, um, I have seen this behavior before in other directors, most notably, uh, you have definitely heard me bitch about this, Lord knows my boyfriend has, but the 2009 Star Trek is guilty of many things. J.J. Um, Abrams is... J.J. Abrams is guilty of many things. J.J. <laughs> Abrams, being the little shitheel that he is, was doing some bullshit little interview, I remember reading this on Wikipedia back when 2009 Star Trek came out, where I was curious to what end they were doing this bullshit new alternate timeline thing, right? I, I looked up what he was talking about when people were asking him the same question, like what you know, what kind of stuff are you gonna go with? He's like, Well we're gonna you know, we're gonna do new things. We're not gonna be doing the same old, same old, so we're not gonna be doing con. Yeah. And I at that moment went, Oh, okay. So they're gonna be doing con because he's the most unoriginal writer known to uh -huh. man. Uh-huh. So yeah, he did con. What do you yeah. fucking know? And it was of course only for the audience because no one in the cinematic universe at that point knew who the fuck Khan was because that episode no. happened in the other And also, line. um, the entire emotional through of the Khan storyline meant nothing since exactly. it was the first story right. so, in yeah. his universe. Yeah. We we could go on and on about how JJ Abrams is basically just one of the worst writers ever. Um, but I have such strong feelings about how much he just sucks. But I really do just laugh at that shit, where it's like when somebody just out of nowhere says, oh, we're not gonna do this particular thing, or they're known for this type of thing, or look how there's no footprints, nothing, they must not be around here. It's like, okay, cool, so they're around here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, I, this is the moments where it's hard to be like an audio show because I'm just like smacking my temples like ah, I know I, I was literally just, just thinking I'm like if only people could see your reaction right now <laughs> like why just fucking why God seriously I'm not kidding I just why it you have complete control over this writer and or director both of you could avoid the could avoid these tiny little shitty moments and yet you just build them up on purpose and I don't understand why. A bright side to this moment, though, is that when all of the team pulls out their weapons in reaction to these people coming out of the sand with their own weapons, Daniel doesn't grab his. <laughs> he very distinctly does not grab a weapon. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's funny, I actually pretty much called it almost immediately in the show who I was, and this was not one of those scenes. Uh, I didn't really identify with Daniel or anything, or anybody particularly in the moment, but Daniel's reaction was like, Still very accurate. Yes. <laughs> just like as like a human like, thing. Whoa, whoa, and like looked around, but didn't like an untrained, surprised idiot kind of reaction. It was great. <laughs> Which is why it's great because later on, so um, Martuf, who we don't know his name yet, but Martuf points out that they have an Apophis Jaffa because they're like, hey, we're not here. We're we're here against the gold, and like people always do, they're like, you have a Jaffa. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I do enjoy that where he goes. Um, I do like the slightly different language we're introduced here, though, with um, uh, he is a Jaffa Apophis sect. Oh, yeah, sect. I like that they're that starting. pretty cool. Well, it makes sense because, it like, does they're make sense. It's like a cult. more involved in, like, the system lord mentality because they've got, like, spies and they do all that stuff. So, like they talk about later on, they have to just have that language and that behavior more. So, I like it. It makes sense. Um, I like it, too, because it also kind of references uh, references the gold as kind of what they are, which is cultists. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so God. really cool. Just wait till we get to set. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Yeah, no, I don't, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, so Teal'c says he allies with the Tari now, um, against Apophis. You know, his usual spiel. <laughs> yeah, and then Daniel says against all gold. And Sam's like, mm, I don't know if you should say that, they are gold. <laughs> and then right after she says that, I love that every time, the, the Tok'ra, the Tok'ra don't make any damn sense. She says they're gold. In response to him telling the, the, the guy who's leading this group, uh, in, in response to him saying to Sam, we are not gold, as he's saying that, his eyes glow and his voice echoes. Right, it's like, right. yeah, because there's lots my of dude. other... dude. <laughs> my mistake. I I forgot about the, the other glowy-eyed aliens that are trying to rule the galaxy. You know there's only one of you, right? I just... And again, I feel like this is another, like, they thought... they. I don't, I don't even know if he thought he was being clever with this directing choice, but it's like, no, this is just stupid. It's just... It's counterintuitive. Yeah, oh, it is very fucking counterintuitive. But here's my Mel moment where I try to explain it for them. For you. Go for it. I, I, my only thought said, is that we said before we started recording, I'm like, I think this is going to be a reversal right? episode where I'm angry more than you are. <laughs> hey, but what kills me on this is I think you kind of hit it earlier on the head when you said that he was he thought he was being clever. I think this was another one of those moments where they thought they were being clever. So I think they were trying to show that this is there's nothing to indicate this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't based on anything. This but, is usually how my defenses go. Right. You know this. But. but it could be said that they flash their eyes as, like, an emotional element, so it was actually meant to be more of an unintentional thing, where he's like, we are not go old, and because he's so infuriated, he comes forward for a moment uh -huh. and ignites. By the way, I never really say this out loud, I don't think ever, but I've always kind of personally assumed, or personally put it together in my mind, that the eye glowing is a temporary ignition of Nakuda, like, platelets or whatever in or around the eyes, so that they can get burned off in the cornea without actually uh, hurting the, the host. Sure, I'll buy it. It looks like burning. It sounds kind of like burning. And we know yeah. they have Nakwood on their blood. So I'm like, fuck it. They can ignite their blood for a moment for some fucking reason. You sure, know, it's like, yeah. He's like temporarily igniting the vitreous fluid or whatever the fuck it is. So, whatever. It's called the nucleating if you get your eyeball taken out. But I think the fluid itself is called vitreous fluid, if I remember correctly. I think so, yes. I'm, yeah, I believe so it's whatever fluid. and however Nakwood would infuse that, somehow that's getting ignited. That's always been my little take on it. Yeah, maybe. I feel like it was more pointed, like, on purpose. Oh, no, no, you're definitely right there, was, but that was, I feel like me it was trying to make it better. to be a contrast. It's just, like, I don't know what you were trying to say here, man. I don't, I don't get it. I think you're right. I think it was on purpose. I just don't know why. Yeah. But on the off chance that they were trying to go for, like, this other thing, that's my only option. Uh, so, that, the scene there cuts there. And we go back to SGC for literally, like, 20 seconds. 
Like, we've had brief interlude cutscenes before. This did not need to happen here. It was almost infuriating to me, because it's literally Hammond at SGC, at his desk, gets a phone call. It's Jacob calling from the hospital. We don't even know that, though. We just know it's Jacob. And then Hammond's like, I'll be right there, and puts his phone down. That's it. That's the scene. Wh why? You know what would have... At first, I was like, you could have just had that lead into him showing up at the hospital. Especially since we don't hear... Again, we don't hear Jacob's side of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So, like, him being like, I'll be right there. Him showing up at the hospital the next scene still works as, like, a transition. Because it's still a surprise, him being there, you know? Because we didn't know where Jacob's calling from. We don't know why. That still would have worked. That would have worked. But I also, what you could have done is after, we we could have actually seen SG-1 going through the gate instead of just sh showing them appear on the other side at the, the desert. Mm -hmm. We could have been in SGC, watched them walk through the gate, and after the gate closes, Hammond gets a phone call. Yeah, that would have worked. So I've given Brad Turner... Two ways he could have directed this to make it less pointlessly. Here's 30 seconds of him and an SGC getting a phone call. Uh, so yeah, we immediately cut back to the planet where they've apparently been, like, on the standoff for a while now because Jack cuts the tensions by going, you know, on some planets, this is called loitering. Which, translation, Jack is bored. <laughs> That's me, man. I just would have been, you know, me, I get bored and snarky in, in five seconds. <laughs> oh yeah, uh-huh. Uh, so, Sam manages to dissipate the tension a little bit by recognizing Martouf, calls him Martouf, and when he's like, how, how do you know my name? She explains the whole thing about Jolinar, and continues to call Jolinar him. I'm gonna just, how about we just say it now, because, uh, it's gonna be in a later scene, but... Well, because I, I almost don't want to, because I actually continue to have notes about it until it happens. Because, well, I, I, you know, okay. I cut ahead. At one point, Mark Toof even refers to Jolinar as he. That, that's kind of why I want to say it now. You know what I think it is? I think it's another one of those, we've called the show up on it before, where they do something just to keep it a secret from the audience. Yeah, no, I don't disagree, but it's still, it's, it's part of why I'm, I'm, like, on the fence about not saying it now. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Let, you know, let's just... Tackle this right here. Yeah. So we find out later on in a conversation between uh, Martuf and Sam that the larvae are typically a gender. Yes. But the Jolinar had always taken female hosts. Yes. Which is why he refers to Jolinar as she. She. Her. Yes. Except for the a scene in a few minutes where he does refer to Jolinar as he, and I'm like, and, and, did you and you're mess right. up there? What's yeah, going on? And, and you were right. That was just to keep the audience in the dark. Yeah, that was 100%. Which is that why they we're thought this, this was up. a big. I don't, and again, it's like, how is that a big reveal? Who the fuck cares if Jolinar is a he or a she? It means nothing. Why did you make this dramatic? That's why I'm angry, is because it's not them trying to make it dramatic, it's them trying to avoid what they consider to be a distasteful topic, and that is the topic of possible transgender. Yeah. Or also the fact that, uh, 
it, maybe a combination of both. I think it's the fact that they wanted to introduce Martooth in this as a possible love interest for Sam. And he couldn't be gay. But they realized, yeah, exactly. They realized that the host that Jolinar had been in before was a man. And so if they're like, yeah, this guy used to date Jolinar, oh no, it's gay. Yeah, no, this, this episode is a prime example of insensitive writing that I was going to say is you know prevalent in the 90s. Obviously, you know, was prevalent way before the 90s. It yeah. was still happening in the 90s and is... I guess a little better now, but not really. But no, this is this this one this one does play a little bit with being transphobic. Yeah, a little bit because of the fact that they actually you know flat out acknowledge the whole. Like I said, he says larva are agender, but Jolinar always had female hosts. Yeah, and then when she points out that uh, she Jolinar was in a male, he's like disconcerted and unhappy about it, and that's why yeah. I said that. That's why I say yeah. it gets transphobic adjacent at the very least, is because you do it that way to prove that, A, he's not gay. Yep. And B, it could definitely be seen that he was expressing discomfort on the idea of Jolinar, yeah. who he perceives as a female, being a male in that instance. Which is and wild, because in the next episode, they, okay, in this episode, they refer to Selmak as she. Selmak is gonna go into Jacob! That's, that's the thing about identity, is... It's exactly that. It's who you identify as. Exactly. But that's the thing. If the show is that uncomfortable, like, addressing that concept as an actual concept to talk about, don't play this pronoun game. You didn't have to have Selmak be a she. They just didn't care because trans people didn't matter. That was That's why I'm angry. That's why I wanted to make yeah. sure you addressed it now is because obviously that's incredibly wrong. And even though they yeah. only flirt with it here, it's still unacceptable. And on top of that, it's also biphobic because they're completely glossing over this other concept of he doesn't have to be gay. He could be attracted to both. He's mm -hmm. a snake. And Martouf is apparently in a symbiotic one-in-the-same type relationship. So it is entirely conceivable that they could be bisexual. Or pansexual, even. Yeah. Why, Honestly, why would it matter? the fact that he claimed that all of the larvae are a gender, you would think they would be a little less constrictive with their preferences. You would think, except no, it's sorry, almost preferences as... is the wrong word. Yeah, we knew what you meant. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly that, because at the end of the day, you can write a, a, a species as open-minded as you are, but at the end of the day, you're still constrained by your own, you know, opinions and uh, prejudices. So at the end yeah. of the day, the writers didn't consider it something that you could leave unspoken. They had to specify for themselves, where the line was. It's, it sucks. So, that's my, my massive grievance. It, it comes to head at the end of the episode, towards the end of the episode, but it does start here. Yeah. <laughs> the tendrils begin here. Yeah, just cause, like, cause, uh, when we watched the Jolinar episode, we're like, can they stop calling Jolinari? <laughs> we know Jolinar is a she. And, like, we were already annoyed by that, but we were, like, we, we thought it was just a sexism thing. We're, like, oh, well, obviously this strong spy can't be a woman. <laughs> well, it's because we just remembered part of the conversation where they, I, I didn't remember until he said it in this one that they were agender. I was actually, like, for a second, like, oh, nice, all right. Yeah, for a moment when he <laughs> said the that, dragon I was like, oh, thing. okay, cool. Here's the thing. Um, while we were watching it, when it got to the part where it, that comes in a minute where he uses the he pronoun as well, I was like, what? Why? He, even he called Jolinar a he? So I, like, actually went and, like, looked up Jolinar's Wikipedia page and saw the thing where it said agender but female personality or, or something like that. I don't remember the exact wording. I, I, I put, I, I've left a link in the show notes. There will be a link to the Wikipedia page 
uh, in our show notes. But I looked that up, and when I looked it up, just looking at it on paper, I was like, oh, that's actually pretty progressive for the 90s. And then we hear them actually talk about it. Pretty much. So Sam talks about Jolinar dying to save her life and that they're here to look for the Tok'ra. Like, and we hope that you guys are the Tok'ra. And the leader is like, and if we aren't, and Jack, blood, death, hard feelings. It suck. It, it would suck, Jack. You're not wrong. I do appreciate the hard feelings tacked on at the end. Hard feelings. Like, we'd be yeah. upset with you in the afterlife, you know? And Teal'c tells them that they shall form an alliance. And Martooth believes Sam and suggests they actually listen to this group. And then Jack has clearly been waiting for a year for the opportunity to say, take me to your leader. (laughs) (laughs) I do appreciate Uh, for this part where he says that, and it's clear he's been wanting to say that forever, but because, like, the Tok'ra aren't exposed to Earth's media, they don't really get it, and they're just like, okay, sure. (laughs) We'll take you to our council, (laughs) you know? They just kind of like, yeah. Yeah, that's usually how this parlay stuff works, yeah. Uh, so they all get transported underground via the same sort of transport rings the gold use. Which, fun fact, new CGI for that. Up until now, the show had been using recycled footage from the movie. This is actually their first time using their own CGI. Ooh, and it wasn't... Honestly, it was comparable to the movie, I feel like. I... I had no complaints. It was... TV CGI. You know, reconstituted footage doesn't look that good to begin with anyway. No, 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 no. So they all go underground. They're in these tunnels underground. Teal talks about the Tok'ra growing tunnels uh, to live in with technology. Okay, yeah. Can I just take a moment to be a little annoyed? Um, hmm. Just one moment? (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, seriously. When will writers learn that if you're going to call an enemy unknown, you're going to need to stop immediately following up that unknown bit with Somebody then listing a what ends up being a long fucking list of known things. <laughs> like How do they you know, know about so these much, especially because they talk about. So so Teal says like they have these tunnels. Uh, Apophis had me looking for them quite often. I could never find any, and you find out he can never find any because anytime the Toker leave. They destroy the tunnels. Then how the gold know about them? I always just kind of intuited that they, um, like, it was a shared technology. Like, once upon a time, the Goa Old had this, you know, tech and, like, it abandoned it because they didn't need it anymore. And now yeah. the Tok'ra are using it. But again, that's just me grasping at straws because mm-hmm. how do you say you don't know anything about these people when... They, they like to fall on Teal'c far too often to be their inf- informant. Like, he hasn't been with the gold in a year. Eventually, you're gonna have to stop using him as an excuse to know things. Oh, sorry, there was one detail uh, before they get taken underground where they're told they can't uh, bring the weapons in. I do love how Jack handles that whole situation, though. That was that was great. Oh, no, I actually, I didn't actually, I don't know why I didn't write this down, but I do love that when he does concede to, like, yeah, fine, we'll give you our weapons, but he makes a point of... I want this known that this is in, like, the spirit of us having a cooperation down the line. Something the Tok'ra refused to fucking take into consideration at all, because the Tok'ra are fucking awful. Of course they are. No, they're arrogant as fuck. And I just realized I missed an end note earlier when Martouf says that he trusts Sam. I got so annoyed, because I was just like, bitch, you're just horny. Yeah, oh, he absolutely was. But yeah, I do love um, Jack's response when they say, you have to leave your weapons, because he just goes, he laughs, he goes, no, no. <laughs> And I lost it. But yeah, 
Yeah, but, but when the team talks him around, then he decides to be, like, a good leader and be like, fine, but this is in the spirit of cooperation. Yeah, and we expect and, it to be treated as such. Uh, so, Sam mentions to her team that she feels like she has a closer relationship with Martooth than the others, but she hasn't quite pinned down what that means yet. It's called horny. Yeah, yeah. So then we cut to Earth, where Hammond is visiting Jacob in the hospital, he says, like, oh, I'll call Sam back. You're clearly doing poorly. <laughs> and Jacob's right. like, no, I don't want her to see me weak. Basically just admitting that he, uh, well, to the audience anyway, what we already kind of knew, which is that he basically lied to her. He was basically making it seem like she might have a chance to actually say, you know, you know, goodbye or whatever. And instead he has, a, he has fully intending to just kind of slink off. Oh, yeah. Which, again, the irony when he claims that he got an apartment here to be close to his daughter right. and then does not let her see him. It's like, Jacob, make up your fucking mind. Because he has to be in control. It's on his terms or nothing. So they get... Then we immediately cut back to the planet. Because, again, the cuts in this this episode just... Are questionable. Transitions aren't as smooth as some other ones. (laughs) Like, I remember feeling like uh, Secrets. There were a lot of cuts in Secrets, because, again, we had three storylines happening. But the transitions usually made sense. Like, where scenes cut, it was like, yeah, that's where you would have a scene cut. So obviously we'd go to this new location. Or even that, like, there would be a genuine transition from, it might be a totally different location, but whatever happened in the last scene melds pretty well into what's happening in the next scene in the new new location. Like, the transitions worked in Secrets, despite how many of them there were. They just sort of happen in this episode. To the point to where, in a little bit, I just get genuinely mad. <laughs> and, like, I have a note in, like, seven lines down here where I'm just going to cut to it now. I say, these abrupt scene cuts suck. <laughs> and, like, there's definitely an element of, oh, this is where a, uh, this is definitely where a commercial break would have been. But it's like, yeah, but the fact that we I don't have a commercial break here anymore shouldn't mean that it still feels this disjointed. Like, Commercial breaks aren't transitions. <laughs> the fact that I'm going straight from this scene to this scene and it feels so abrupt and awful, that's not good. I mean, you're right. But yeah, so we're back in the tunnels. They're introduced to Garshaw of Belot, who Teal says is the most hunted gold of all time. I guess this episode is just so set up heavy. It has, it just throws everything it has right on the table and doesn't even bother. And I'm just kind of like, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's all it gets from me is a yep. I don't even care enough to, to put any analysis into it. No. I mean, there's not much there. Uh, so she asks if they were part of the group that overthrew Ra. Jack says yes. She says then you are Tokra as well. And I do enjoy Daniel having his nerdy little linguist moment here <laughs> where he's like, oh, Tokra against, against Ra. Ra. And he's just like, he like comes forward in front of the rest of the group just to say that. And like, and then like realizes he did do a nerdy little linguist moment. Kind of like, oh, you know. <laughs> but he's so proud of himself for realizing that. He looks at her and goes, thank you. Like, he's just like, finally someone's like, almost like he's like been asking everybody what this means and no one's been yes. giving him a real answer. And so he's like, thank you. This is all I wanted. And it was just and honestly, great. like, we said like some of the continuity, especially at the beginning of this, how like, oh, look at all our, all our continuity. It's like, okay, calm down. Right. But I always appreciate whenever they actually do callbacks to the movie. And I feel like this is a good one because I feel like it's actually vaguely subtle, especially because they don't immediately... We've had the name Tokra for a while. We've had it since Jolinar. 
vaguely subtle This is the like only time we actually know, oh, again, straw. Like, they've waited. They let it sit. They let it mean something when we find out. And it's just a, a fun little, oh, you know? Yeah. So this is actually one of those continuity things I've appreciated in this episode. One of the few good things. Yeah. Uh, so Sam explains the plot of Jolinar to the Tok'ra. <laughs> and this is the scene where Martuf also refers to Jolinar as he, just so that in a couple of scenes, the audience can be surprised to find out that Jolinar is actually female. Yep. Then we go back to the hospital. Jacob is getting the, the paddles. Okay, so, 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 so. <laughs> yes, that's why I was vague. I'm like, okay, it's time for you to start ranting about medicine again. I'm not going to call myself an expert in resuscitation, but I know enough to know that this looks like a code blue situation, i.e. the heartbeat is either so slow it's no longer you know perceptible or it has stopped. Yeah. At which point you need to perform resuscitation if they do not have what's called a DNR signed, a do not resuscitate order. Yeah. In which case you let them go. Now, for some fucking reason, despite the way they've described him, it seems that Jacob does not have a DNR because they go straight into resuscitation. Yeah, that's true. Like, as soon as you brought up DNR, I'm like, why didn't he have right? a DNR? Right? It just, it's odd that he didn't. He seems like something who would have, from a character level. Especially because of the it's whole just thing convenient. where he's like, I don't want Sam yeah. to see me weak. Yeah, yeah. So no, he'd it's, rather pass while exactly. she's gone. Exactly. No, it's just convenient that he doesn't because otherwise he wouldn't, you know, live long enough for Selmak. No. So, yeah, that happens. Anyway, um, glossing over that, though... There's a couple things you have to do when you're going to perform CPR or use the paddles, as you said, um, a defibrillator. I don't like I don't like the word because it's really hard for me to say. It's not easy for me to say no. either. It's not an easy word. No, because your heart is uh, goes into, the, I think, I'm not going to use all the terms anymore because I, I don't remember them exactly from my first aid. Uh, I got certified in all this shit and I got EMT training, but that was years ago, so... I don't remember the exact terminology anymore, so I'm not even going to bother being yeah. accurate there. However, what one thing you do you know, need to do is you get them flat. Not You don't leave them upright in their bed like he was. He was still leaning on his pillow. That's one of the first things you'll notice, by the way, is they basically have no concern for bruises at this point because they are just going in to get him alive again. Mm -hmm. So the first thing they do is they whip that pillow out. <laughs> that pillow is fucking gone. And then they have these backboard things that are in, like, the, these, um, you know, stretchers and these gurneys that they're lying on. And if they're not already on one, they do a quick transfer where they, like, will, you know, haul the sheets up real fast on one side to get the board uh -huh. under. And then they'll haul up the other side and push up all, all the way under. So that way they're perfectly flat. That's, I forget why, but it's important for getting, like, the, you know, the body aligned so that the heart has the best chance of, you know... Yeah, restarting. makes sense. And now you do I that usually it. for like CPR, for like chest compressions, and I'm, I'm guessing also for defibrillation for the same, you know, basic reason. And that's when you rip open the gown, which that did not appear to be ripped open even slightly enough. No, no. And then you slap on these um, rubbery sticky pad things um, on the chest, one above and one slightly to like the side of the heart. You don't do it directly on. And you don't do it sometimes, like, you'll see sometimes in really bad TV, where, like, on both pecs. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, gorilla style, like, you know, even. No, no, you know, that, that's not correct. They're, they're no. more angled. <laughs> they're more angled. It's more, like, one's more towards the center, one's more towards up into, like, the left, I think. Because your heart actually isn't directly, isn't just directly center. It actually is um, angled slightly towards the left in your chest. Yeah. Unless you have that rare condition where you're completely mirrored. Anyway, they put on those little uh, sticky pad things because it makes it the best possible connection between the paddles and the skin. 
facilitates the electric shock as yeah. much as possible. And then they say, you know, clear, and they shock to whatever, you know, how many, how many joules they want to throw in there. And mm -hmm. it hopefully restarts the heart. It's actually not that successful as you see in TV because, you know, you're still frying a fucking organ. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, especially one that's weakened from, say, cancer. I honestly don't really know what the chances are. I also extremely have a lot of problem with how he is not even being a little bit bagged. He has no airflow going there. They're not even trying. Like, nowadays, CPR actually... It used to be, back when I was first trained in CPR, um, they used to say you um, had to breathe and do chest compressions. Uh -huh. uh, nowadays, they have... I don't, I don't think they've changed it again. Last I checked, they actually had changed it to they no longer say you need to breathe anymore because there should be enough oxygen already in there that basic chest, comp chest compressions will get enough oxygen flowing that it should still stave off brain damage. Uh-huh. So you should be more focused on chest compressions than breathing for them. That being said, in a hospital, they still hook up an airbag <laughs> and, you know, squeeze it to force air. And you're in a hospital, you're in a better environment for it, and they're not even trying. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there was a lot wrong with that resuscitation, and it just made me very unhappy. And I'm betting I was actually slightly inaccurate with, like, a couple of my things there. And I bet I'm also missing a ton more that's wrong with it that medical professionals would see. But I can definitely tell you from my somewhat knowledge that that was uh -huh. atrociously awful. So yeah, my only note on that resuscitation was, oh my god, no. Just so <laughs> much fucking no. Just no. Yeah, I know with any of the medical stuff, I just let you talk. Because I'm like, you're going to know more than me. So uh, the doctor there just lets Hammond know, like, look, he's he doesn't have long... Uh, with how bad this is, he's got anywhere from five minutes to five days. And recommends that any family come now. Just gonna let it go. Just gonna let it go. If it's about, um, information, oh, I no, that part hardly I'm... believe Hammond is, no, is, no, I, is his... If, if Hammond was called to come there, I fully believe that Jacob signed off on him being in the know. I had no problem with the HIPAA, with yeah. the HIPAA here. Okay. I, had, I had no HIPAA problems here. Now, my only issue is that window that doctor gave seemed uh it was it was the least questionable part of that scene so whatever yeah no i was like that's that's not an answer my dude but basically they just needed something dramatic for hammond to realize okay i need to i need to get sam back yeah that's the entire point of this scene is to give hammond impetus to fetch sam and bring her back pretty much so we go back to the planet and i did make a note of this where the Tok'ra decide to accuse Sam of being the one to kill Jolinar because of the fact that they're like, so you didn't invite Jolinar in. And she's like, no, it was like a survival thing. And they're like, so how do we know you didn't kill Jolinar? It's like, I'm sorry, you're going to turn the judgment around on her? Also, when how? you literally just outlined the fact that Jolinar did not get invited? You don't get to act like the victim here, my dude. The Tok'ra! In a minute, you're going to claim that you are entirely symbiotic, that you have you only take hosts when they agree and volunteer, and yet, in the instant when you find out that Jolinar did not ask, you decide to make Sam the villain here? Really, guys? Really? That's your choice? That's where you're going? So I'm not disagreeing. Not at all. Uh, it's just one good element of it is that it does kind of potentially... I don't, I don't really give credit to the writers here. I think it's just an accidental happy. Uh -huh. But it does kind of establish one thing about the Tok'ra. It's their, you know, responsibility level, obviously, like, where they, you know, draw it for themselves. And it fits with their haughtiness 
as it were. Oh, yeah. Because it's really indicative of that, of a real kind of separation uh, between, for example, operatives and bureaucracy. So you have, like, the most hunted gold ever, but she's more of, like, a figurehead. Not like a figurehead. It's not like she's impotent, but she's more like a symbol. She could never do a spy work. Exactly. So it's very uncomfortable being confronted with the necessities of being a spy. And spies are very rarely portrayed um, accurately in media as like, the um, pseudo-bad guys that they are because they have to make dreadful decisions on yeah. a regular basis if they want to live, if they have a purpose to live. And they're not often the people who are saying, I'm a good person. They're often very conflicted because they know that what they're doing is quote-unquote the right thing to do, but they're having to do so many not-right things. To do it. They're very much the means to the end. Exactly. I love The Operative and Firefly, for example. Um, sorry, in Serenity, the movie version, being kind of an example of that, where he's like, Mal says, you know, you're gonna live in that perfect world, and The Operative goes, I'm not going to live there. <laughs> I'm a monster. <laughs> like, he's aware. Oh, yeah, no, I love... He does a great job. Yeah. God, that whole character is so well fleshed out and, and acted and everything. Uh, Rogue One is another good example, I think, of the spy being portrayed. In his intro scene, Diego Luna portrays, uh, you know, Cassian Andor as exactly the kind of spy he is. They get trapped, and his informant is weak and can't escape and will probably cave immediately under torture. So he lets his friend think he's gonna live because his friend's panicking about stormtroopers closing in. He goes, it's okay, it's okay, we'll, we'll figure it out, we got this, and he shoots his friend in the back. And then he climbs out. And he's not happy about having to do it. And it was, I love hearing some reviews of this movie where, like, oh my god, you're supposed to root for this guy. I'm like, yeah, he's yeah, a spy. That's his job. You're supposed to know that he's not a good person. He doesn't. He doesn't have that luxury anymore. No. It can be well done. Jolinar was. This episode's not indicative of it, but Jolinar is a good example of that. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah. So no, here's the thing. Yeah, I'm not my my bitching here is not with the episode itself. It's with the Tokra. <laughs> Like I said, I have a lot of problems with the Tok'ra, mm -hmm. and this is one of them. Yeah, no, but I like how it's, oh, at least it does establish that well that she's very oh, separated. didn't ask for you to volunteer? Well, how do we know you didn't kill Jolinar then? Because she's immediately uncomfortable with the concept of, oh, fuck, that means Jolinar had to do something mm -hmm. bad. Well, yeah, well my, like, my people don't do bad guys, things, so you must have murdered ugh. her. It's like, she, it's, it's not listening to reason because she's very disconnected. Yeah. And so Sam's just like, well, I, how would I have proof of that? <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like you can't prove a negative. Like, how on earth would I be able to prove that to you? Come on. Come the fuck on. But she's like, I, you're just going to have to trust me. And the dude who has who was leading them up above is like, oh, why should we trust you? And I like that Jack is like, yeah, well, why should we trust you? Yeah, it's like, okay, ditto, bitch. <laughs> you think we're... So we're just supposed to blindly trust you guys, who we've never met, who have gold larvae in you, but you can't turn the same respect back on us when we came and found you and didn't, like, bring Apophis to you? Like, come on. Come on. Because at the heart of it, the Tok'ra are still very gentle cultists themselves. Like, they yeah. still think themselves very superior to the humans they inhabit. So, like, yeah, they oh, have a symbiotic relationship. And we're going to see more of that yeah, in this episode. Yeah, but they, they're kind on. of more like priests looking over their acolytes, you know? It's more like that kind of shit. It's more paternal as a... as a They they are giving the humans the gift of, of knowledge and life, and in exchange they're given, you know, a body. But aren't the humans lucky to have been given this opportunity? Like, it's that kind of mentality. Oh, yeah, because uh, in a minute we're going to talk to Garshaw's host. 
And you can definitely see some of that, like, indoctrination in the way she talks. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, so I I do appreciate that Jack is, like, clearly just done with them. Right. And he, he's like, we've been, we've done nothing but get interrogated. Are we your prisoners? You don't get to act like benevolent fucking hosts here if all you're doing is keeping us here against our will and interrogating us. If we're your prisoners... You had better tell us right now. Especially since we volunteered our arms to you in good faith. The Tokra play fast and loose with uh, their concept of right and honor and so on. Where oh, they're just yeah. like, oh yeah, Deeply. we would never do this kind of terrible thing. We would never invade your mind, but we will just keep you prisoner indefinitely. We will also, you know, we respect that you're autonomous individuals who have come to us to communicate. However, we're just not going to talk to you or regard you as equals in any way. No, 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 no. Uh, so when he says that, asks if they're gold prisoners, uh, Garsha's eyes glow and her voice echoes and she says, no, we are not gold. Like, again, the whole thing where, like, they show the fucking signs of gold while saying we're not gold. Yeah. And Jack points that out. Like, you know, you got the eyes, you got the voice, those are signs of gold. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm not really seeing where you're drawing the line here, bitch. And uh, Daniel tries to soften Jack's very confrontational uh, methods at this point by being like, look, we have every right to be wary of the gold because they take human hosts. Yeah. And then um, Garsha says the Tok'ra only take volunteers. And her host comes out. And says that the volunteers uh, trade, like, knowledge and lifespan for the the chance to be hosts. I, I get why the episode doesn't really touch on this, because honestly, every time you do, you invite just such a long-ass potential conversation. But I do like how it's really never touched on in these situations. I'm sorry, we're supposed to believe you are actually this person. Why? I mean, like, why behavior is markedly yeah. different. I was actually... What if they're good I, actors? I do want to give, um... <laughs> Yeah, and we know that they can actually act pretty well. Yeah, so what if they're good actors? But I do want to give the actress here credit. That, oh, like, yeah, that part's fine, yeah. When she shifts to the the host, she is, like, a completely different person. Like, her mannerisms are completely different. Her voice is, like, the way she speaks is different. It's good. Yeah, now, from a real-life aspect, the acting is terrific. Oh, yeah. In, in the episode, every time this happens, in any show... I'm always just like, whenever it isn't questioned, I don't really, I'm not upset because I get it. You have time constraints. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm always laughing every time they don't, you know, go, oh, okay, cool. And I'm supposed to believe this is actually a person talking to me right now because why? Like, unless you have yeah. like, like literally like a, like a CAT scan hooked up at that moment showing distinct, you know, different parts of the brain being activated. Why the fuck would I believe that? Like, right. I mean, they've already had that happen so many times with uh, Kowalski, with yeah, Sam. Exactly. Yeah, they're all um, good actors. Even Kowalski's and dad was a young and he was still a good they actor. They don't really have uh, the power to enforce anything like that. And to be fair, Jack already pointed out, why should we be trusting you, you yeah. know? But yeah, so I, I get it, but I'm always just like laughing just a little bit. So... So this is actually where I made the note about how abrupt the scene cuts are, and they continue to suck. The team are brought to see Selmak who they use she pronouns for, and they explain that her host body is dying. And I do appreciate that when they mention that Selmak is, like, a like really respected member of their group, Daniel pointedly takes his hat off. I know. He's such a little darling. I was darling. like, aw, Daniel. <laughs> such a good boy. 
Yeah. He might not like gold, but he's still trying to be like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I love whenever he tries to correct Jack to be, like, polite, and Jack's like, don't fucking care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the Toker explain that they can only live about 200 years because they don't use the sarcophagus because they're afraid it will drain the good from their heart. And Daniel kind of, like, under his breath, aside, is like, yeah, you're right. And Tilk does... I. I do actually kind of appreciate that we specifically cut to Teal'c for him, like, giving Daniel a side-eye in reaction to Daniel's little muttered comment there. Just kind of, like, like vague concern. <laughs> like, Daniel, you, you okay? You want to talk about that day more? <laughs> want to talk about that planet more, buddy? So, Martouf explains that this is why their numbers can't compete with the goal. They can only live about 200 years, and they can only take... Volunteers, which are hard to find, which means a lot of times the larva dies with the host. Uh, they ask if one of them wants to volunteer to host Selmac, and everyone's like, mm, no, no, pass. And Sam, when she, you know, passes, is clearly, like, visibly upset about it. Like, Jack and Daniel are both like, mm, no, but Sam, when she says no, is just, like, upset and, like, walks off. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, almost as if she was mentally invaded. Yeah, against her will, maybe? <laughs> And the gold may have, like, died while it was in her, and she might be having to deal with that, too. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So she walks off to, like, you know, splash some water on her face to, to try and, and deal with it. Uh, and Martouf goes to follow her and check on her. I do like that Jack reminds the Tok'ra here that Jillinar did not ask Sam. And the Tok'ra uh, have a clear misunderstanding of, like, the language that, which, you know, this is actually a, a positive in this this episode, where they're acknowledging that, like, between cultures, words are going to mean different things. So when SG-1 says, hey, we want an alliance with you, they mean, like, you know, we'll trade information, we'll trade weaponry, tech, yeah. we'll, we'll fight against the gold with you. For the Tok'ra... The word alliance means taking a tokra as a as a a, a tokra taking you as a, it's their host. Yeah, so I only have a minor problem with that. It's just mostly the concept of I'm sorry, have you really been isolated that long that you forgot the other definitions of alliance? Yeah, they're egotistical. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm not not buying it. I just wanted to make sure. I wanted confirmation. I guess I I buy it 100. percent They clearly don't talk to people. I guess, yeah, but it's just like, how long have they really been just that isolated for that long? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I have a, another note here that says, Tok'ra are smug elitists uh, who think that the Tauri aren't useful enough. It's almost like they think humans are tools. Hmm. Hmm. Like, like maybe, hmm. like, gold, maybe? Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> but you guys aren't gold. Of course not. Of course not. Of course, of course, of course. It's not like, uh... The, the way you're born does actually affect who you are as a person. They, they like to think of themselves as a, an apple that was lobbed a fair distance from the tree, and instead they're still in its shadow. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, SG-1 points out they destroyed two gold motherships, and Garshaw decides to get mad because we had agents on those ships. It's like, cool, then your agents knew they were about to attack right? and destroy a planet. So they had a chance to leave. They didn't. That's on fucking them, bitch. There was a gate on those ships. They could have left. Like, they were supposed to know or let their planet blow up. 
Like, oh, cool. I know, exactly. I know. Sorry, next time I'll just let them destroy my planet. Out, we were defending our planet. Right? Like, oh, and at bad. least the Tok'ra have the the mind to not keep pushing, like, how dare you? And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> they do actually fall back a little bit on their initial, like, anger about losing some agents on their ships when like, Sam's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, well, it was either that or our fucking planet. <laughs> Just such bullshit. And then my next note is, surprise, they are indeed prisoners. Shock. Right? My my mind was, yes, the answer is yes, you are prisoners. You always (laughs) were. Except Sam gets to go up to the surface on a romantic walk. Next next note, immediately asks Sam on a date. (laughs) I know! Literally, literally, Garsha says... You are prisoners here while we, like, basically try and get the council together or whatever. And then immediately after Shah says this, Martouf asks Sam, would you like to go to the surface? This, this guy's boner is so strong that it took him 30 seconds to ask out his captive. And I do appreciate that Jack immediately decides to interpret that as an invitation for all of them. <laughs> Martouf's like, no, no, just her. No, 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 no. I'm asking the captive female if she wants to spend time with me alone. At least, okay, Martouf does a couple of missteps here, but at least Martouf is never, like, pushy in any of these scenes. I will give J.R. Bourne all the credit for that. I think his casting was very accurate here. It's not that he's... He plays a- he doesn't- he isn't, like, a soft guy. Trust me, actually, if the hundred wasn't good that last season I saw him in, but he was. Um, yeah, he's a good actor. He's very enigmatic, and he can transform that into very a, a very soft kind of puppy-type feel. So he can feel, like, strong, yet- more, more like, unyielding, but not in the terrifying way. He yeah. feels sturdy, but not- you know, pushy, like you said. So, but that's mostly just to his credit, because honestly, oh, yeah, yeah. this this was still, everything was still inappropriate. It's, oh, no, 100%. Like, there's there's a couple of moments uh, in their talk where I'm just like, mm. Yeah, but yeah, on that note. <laughs> but Jack rightfully makes a joke yep. about a dad letting his daughter out on a date. <laughs> but yeah, what I was saying there is, um, there's it, this is basically just a visual representation of the difference between Flattery and stalking is how attractive he is. It's kind of like that. It's not good. It's not funny. No, it's no, not it's good. Not. I don't like that joke. It's not funny. And this this whole thing isn't really appropriate. Yeah, like we said, that timing was bad. Yeah. You guys are all prisoners here. Would you like to go on a romantic walk? Right? On the it's like, no, no, that's creepy. But Sam agrees because she's trying to figure out the connection with yeah. Martouf. Because like, she told Jack earlier that, like, I feel closer to him for some reason with Jolinar's memories. Isn't it so she convenient wants to for writers that the female character always just wa- happens to want to go along whenever this creepy yeah. element is introduced? Isn't it just really convenient how it always happens to work out that she actually wants to go along? So while they're walking, this is where Martouf does the whole thing about the larvae gender, but Jolinar was always in female hosts. And we're not going to talk about that again because we nope, already we talked already covered about it. it. And then, while he's talking about Jolinar, he seems to get, like, overcome and can't talk anymore. And then the Gold in Martouf, Lantash, uh, comes out to talk instead. And he explains that he and Jolinar were mates. And she's like, wait, like, you and Jolinar are or the host? And she's trying to figure it out. And he's like, no, it's, it's like, it's a partnership between, on all sides, all four of us, we're in a relationship. Like, it's an agreement on all ends. 
I, I have so many questions about the sex. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not get into that. Let's not do it. I don't want answers. I don't, I don't want the answers, but I have questions. I was gonna say, if you want answers, I'm sure there's fic that's addressed it. Oh, no. No. <laughs> that is Probably not normal. well. Probably not well. Let's be real. Uh... So, he, at one point, my next note here is, oh, gross, of course, Jill and our old host look like Sam. That's just such a gross <laughs> version of he has a type, ugh. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but yeah, so he's describing Jill and our, says, oh, she looked a lot like you, blah, blah, blah. And then Martuf tries to use this as an in to convince Sam to host Selmak. And it's like, dude, you saw how upset she was being asked about that last time. Why would you? But as soon as he sees that she is really bothered when he asks her again, he's like, sorry. I like, like how he like, realizes he did misstep. He's yeah, like, oh. Fucking right it was an inappropriate yeah, question. He uh -huh. says it was an inappropriate question. It's like, you're fucking right. I don't know, man. I don't know. And how much more complicated would that fucking be if she had agreed? I guess the argument can be made that he wasn't implying it was romantic, but it sure as fuck it was implied to me that he was going for a romantic element there. Right? It was just yeah, bizarre. It was right after talking about how beautiful Sam was and how much Sam resembled Joel and her last host, and then brings up her hosting Selmak, and it's like, I don't know what you were going for, buddy, but you missed. You missed big time. You have frozen on my screen. No, I haven't. I'm just grossed out. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was gross. It was real gross. Uh, so this is, again, something we already talked about earlier. Sam decides to say that she feels like she has schizophrenia and then proceeds to poorly describe dissociative identity disorder. First off, she's wrong in how she describes dissociative identity disorder. That's why I said poorly. <laughs> yeah, That's right? I said poorly. Yeah, no, you're, you're right there. And then, second off, I think you mean dissociative identity disorder, not fucking schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a yeah, entirely like, like, different says, I think thing. I, have I, I, this, I think this is what it feels like to have schizophrenia. And then he's like, what's that? And then she poorly describes dissociative identity disorder. Right? It's like, Sam. Sam. <laughs> You are an educated woman! In a very, very tiny nutshell, schizophrenia is hearing voices. Hearing, depending on how bad it is, I have a, I have family that the voices are very strong. They feel like people telling them to do things. But it's not them independently taking over the body at any time or any of that shit. It's an entirely separate thing. Meanwhile, all I hear is phantom ice cream trucks and sometimes some bells. <laughs> It makes me hungry for ice cream all the time. It's really unfair. Aww, that sucks. I know. Why do you think I'm always eating ice cream? Fair enough, man. Look, there are worse ways to cope. Right. <laughs> so, so then, like, Sam Sam describes that she doesn't just feel Jolinar's memory. She also, like, has remnants of Jolinar's emotions, especially regarding Martouf as well. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to figure out, like, how she feels about it. And I was like, and then Martouf, like, uh, says, like, well, maybe uh, you need to use something other than words to figure it out. And I was like, is he going to seriously try to get a kiss from her right now? I know. Thankfully, I know. he just tried to hold hands with her. My note here, by the way, is uh, you'd have to watch the movie Barbarella to know why I had to pause and laugh really fucking hard right there. I've it's, not seen Barbarella. It's so. a, it's. I think it's in the seventies. It's a Jane Fonda movie. It's the only word I can think of right now is spectacular. 
But yeah, they uh, the uh, higher up elite in the movie have sex in a very similar manner to the hand movement they. Uh, Oh boy! So the whole thing just had—I had to pause because all I could think was I had such massive Barbarella flashbacks right then. It just cracked me up. I wasn't—I don't know if that's what they were going for, but it's what they achieved. But yeah, thankfully, Martouf is uh, not a highly sexual being, despite his his uh, really strong stares, uh, and only wants to hold her hand. That could have been a lot more sketchy, what he does. I don't know, I feel like forcing contact on the uh, woman who was mind-raped by your ex is a little no, it's creepy. No, still, it's still, the whole thing is, like, sketchy, but, like, out of all the things he could have done, holding her hand, probably the, uh, I don't know. All I can say is if mind, this episode had been written by a woman, I feel like this scene would have played out much differently. Oh, yeah, but, unless it was Catherine <laughs> Yes, with that caveat attached, yes. Asterisk. <laughs> Asterisk. Not Catherine Powers. She'd probably throw in another tribal throwdown. Well, she probably would have had him kiss her. So, they're awkwardly holding hands, and Sam's kind of looking at him, still trying to, like, figure out what she's feeling. Oh, so and of course, Daniel walks in on this. <laughs> Got his little bitchy tone. Learn a lot about Jolinar. <laughs> no, it's great because he does this wonderful, because, uh, so he's like, hey, the council's ready to meet and everything, and they're like, oh, okay, so they get up, and then, like, as she walks off with Martouf, Daniel stands in the camera shot for a minute, and he just makes this face, <laughs> like, at nothing, just kind of to himself, but it's so much, like, little brother walking in on big sister with a date. <laughs> just like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's 100% what the face is, and it's so good. It is, it is really good, actually. What a great moment for Daniel. Like, like we say every time that we have issues with, like, the episode or the writing or the directing itself, the acting is never a weak point in these shows. Oh, no, no. They're, they're always the saving grace. Ugh. Every time. So, they go back down, and, uh, they're walking to go meet with the council, and while they're walking, one of the Tok'ra, the dude who was leading the guys up on the surface originally when they took... Yeah, I can't uh, remember his name for in. the life of me. Sorry? I cannot remember his name for the life of me. Did they introduce his name? I think it ended with an Esh. I don't know. Like I, Kadesh I don't or something? Kordesh? Uh, so he splits off from the rest of the group, Kadesh. and Jack, who's not happy with anything, is suspicious of that, and splits off after them as well, and follows him to a room where there's a table of, uh, clearly, like, gold-looking tech artifacts. And the guy walks up to a little box and opens it up, and it's this little gold ball. And I was immediately like, that's a communication device. Right, He's yeah. a spy for the gold. You're like, oh, cool, immediately, bad guy. Immediately, immediately, right? especially because I will give credit to, like, the, uh, props department here. It looks great. Yeah, it looked great, and it also was a heavy reminder of the viewing globes that we've seen several times yeah, already. Yeah, exactly. It looks like just like it a mini version. It was a great version. little, like, uh, like, the whole framing of the scene is so clearly obvious that he's doing stuff he's not supposed to be, especially because he does catch Jack watching him and immediately closes the box and mentions that this is his personal room and says, oh, well, we don't have doors because we share everything. And it's like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Sure. Sure, Jan. 
two points. One, while it is still painfully obvious that he's lying, um, I will give points to the guy's acting because he actually does a good job of no, like the yeah, characters yeah. doing the a good job of really trying to show. push it off. Like he's doing a good job of like brushing it off and not being too suspicious about it, you know. But it's still yeah. well done so that the audience can still pick up on it. It's not bad, and obviously Jack because he has suspicions and he's a good, you know, he's a good reader. But two, one thing I actually do like in this episode, um, don't know if directing is to blame here or uh, is you know. Uh, to be commended here, or if it's just, <laughs> to it just blame. or just you know, the costume department, not uh, the dressing, the people who set up props and everything. Um, yeah, they did a really good job here because it's um kind of a, a subtle little nod to this like the thing we've already kind of been talking about how the you know the Tokra like to think of themselves as so different, but at the end of the day they're you know still kind of the same. Now I know it can be undermined later by the fact that we know this guy's a bad guy. Um, yeah. So it could just be said that the reason why he he also has this kind of you know gaudy grandiose little kitchenette of sorts filled with you know, jewels and shit, is I was like, oh, I really like the small similarities that point out that they're still the same species. They say they still have these, you know, base desires, which is to have mm-hmm. pretty... They're like dragons, you know? It's like it's that same kind yeah. of, you know, the thematic element yeah, of the Goa Old is still echoed here with the dragon with their hoard of jewels and gold and everything. And I really like that. Now, I know he's still a bad guy, so technically it could just be because of that, but I think yeah, it's still I indicated that, that, that the Tokra still do it. I do appreciate the the scene dressing for the fact that it looks like an altar like he's, yeah, like he's yeah. uh, pulling from. But I do read that as there's all that gaudy stuff because he's one of right. the bad guys. So, it, like I said, it, kind of, it could just be that it's supposed to be an indicator of that, but I'll have to look out for it to see if it's an, you know echoed more in like other um, Tokra's rooms as well or in their shit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we know they're a lot yeah. more like the gold. Yeah, exactly. So I, I could are. believe that that's still a small bit at play there because I do like that, like I said, it was that kind of imagery still where they're, like, they're dragons guarding their horde yeah. jewels. Mm-hmm. So they, Jack gets sent back to the group, slinks in at the back without anyone else noticing that he left at any point in time. And they're still growing the tunnels to the council room because apparently... They've been here for long enough that Jolinor went off on another spy mission alone and got a new body and died and everything, and yet they still haven't had a point, they haven't had a reason to grow a council room yet. I just realized we actually missed a little element here. That's actually that whole scene, that interaction between him and the um, the dude. That's that. What you just said, um, you we, you hit it on the head. He sneaks back in unnoticed. The reason why he's able to is because it's it's a subtle indicator that they both Jack and the other guy both know that there's something else at play here because Jack knows he'll be able to get away with this because the guy's not going to tell anybody that Jack yeah, saw no, him no, there. Yeah, no, he's not. Because then that, it's that, would, that would be admitting that he was in his room with a communication device. That could come back to bite him, so he's not going to say anything. And Jack's kind of Jack has his like his suspicions. If they're correct, this will work out for him. So he's actually able to gamble here and sneak back into the tour group. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I didn't no, catch that until just now. It's like, oh, that's fucking cool. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Garshaw's explaining that they only grow things, they only grow tunnels and rooms as they need them. And apparently, despite Jolinar being gone from this place for God knows how long, they haven't had a reason to grow a council room till now. So we see fine CGI. I don't really understand what the whole glowing thing's supposed to... I don't understand the tech at all. Uh, accelerated crystal growth. It's kind of like lava tubes, basically. Well, no, I understand, like, the concept of accelerated crystal growth. I don't understand their visualization for it. Oh, I kind of figured it was, like, um, molten materialization. Basically, that was uh, the, the medium that the crystal was growing out of, and that it was, like, some sort of heating process. 
ignition right, process, like a that. catalyst, I should say. Yeah, I don't, I, like I said, I didn't have a problem with it. I was honestly, because they, they leave a little bit of time before we actually see it, where you just see, like, the effects of it reflecting on the right, cast's yeah. face. And I was so prepared for it to be bad CGI. I no, was, actually wasn't I was that prepared bad. for it to be bad. And then it actually showed up, and I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, that was actually kind of pretty. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry. It was clearly just adapted puddle <laughs> footage from, you know... Oh, 100% was, because, like, the reflections on their faces were exactly yeah. like puddle reflections. Yeah. So, the council meets, and is immediately like, what good are you to us? <sighs> yep, you're so different from your cousins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're all trying to be like, well, you know, we can share information, we've got technology, and the, go- the Tok'ra explain that, like, hey, we're spies, we have to use gold tech. We can't be using your tech. Which, fair. I, this is one of the few things the Toker say in this episode where I'm like, yeah, fine. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I accept that one. I accept that. But uh, the timing here is unfortunate because despite the fact that it's very clear, the Toker are barely listening to the team. Yeah. Like, oh, on that note. Oh, we're doing a council meeting, but they're barely listening to anything the team's saying. But yes, go on, ahead. On that note, this actually might be, like, one element, maybe of some good research, actually, but it just it's so too little too late. I, I was really going to say I really wanted to give a, a props moment to the costume department, because they like the vaguely Roman senator costume look. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that the Romans did was, that's actually why uh, Jesus was crucified, was that was, if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified. It was a punishment for non-Roman citizens. That's mm-hmm. that's why that was done to him. If you weren't a citizen, you weren't worthy. So I yeah. can totally see this being kind of like a cool representation feel of that, very much like an imagery wise symbolic kind of way they're acting like roman senators who would be hearing an argument from somebody lesser so they wouldn't be paying attention they would just be following the letter of the law to the yeah. big, to no, the, to the easiest that. degree and then moving on with their day to the more important matters but yeah they basically use the timing of something that's about to happen here to dis- dismiss sg1 entirely right. so while they're talking uh sg3 has come through specifically to get sam because hey jacob's dying I do love Hammond for this. He has no problem jeopardizing the fuck out of this mission. Oh, he, yeah. He immediately, especially because he sent SG-3. Right. Who are the combat team. Yep. He was like, look, we don't know what the situation is over there. SG-1 hasn't gotten back to me yet. Me sending another team through could incite violence. But fuck Sam it. needs to come back to say goodbye to her dad. So if I have to send a team through, I'm going to send SG-3 through. Yep. No, it was very smart of Hammond, and I appreciate the respect he shows for his his uh, team members. That he's like, no, she deserves to have this. I will do what I have to to get this for her. But the Toker are like, oh, you you betrayed us. You were already planning on doing this. It's like they came in peacefully too. Calm the fuck down, right? Like you escorted these guys in, but they're not fighting you. They right? came here and they immediately like, hey, your dad's dying. You need to come home. Like, you can't act like this was a trap. It's like, really? <laughs> if it was a trap, Apophis would be here. Calm down. But they were obviously just using this as an excuse to stop listening to SG-1. Yep. Um, so they're like, we, we can't have an alliance with you. And unfortunately, their decision for saying that we can't have an alliance with you means you can't leave. Because, you know, we could just relocate to another planet instead of enslaving uh people against their will here 
we're going to keep you here until we decide to move to another planet. That's the part that I was like, so you can move to another planet, but you're not going to put the effort in unless it's good for you, too. So instead, it's much easier to just keep a whole bunch of people captive against their will. So basically, they're like, hey, you're going to stay here. You can't leave. Uh, you have knowledge of this place. And until we decide to leave this planet, you have to stay here as well. And they're like, that doesn't work for us. Yeah. Sam has a dad dying back home. She has to go home. And they're like, okay, she's the worst danger to us all, of all of you. It's like, yeah, cool. You remember that's because Jill and her entered her against her will? Remember that, guys? Yeah. Remember that? Uh, uh, uh. You, mean, you mean when your uh, spy invaded her? But then Jack points out, he's like, uh, or no, so Teal points out, like, okay, we're not the only ones who know about this place. SGC knows about a, it. Like, obviously, <laughs> the Marines came after us. They know about it. And Garshaw's like, well, we're hoping that if, if you know, none of you come back, they'll assume we're, you're dead. And I was like, oh, honey, you don't know Hammond. He's not going to give up, especially because he thinks Sam needs to say goodbye to her dad. That's not happening. Once again, with the video game comparison, this is like when you uh, stealth kill an NPC, and all of a sudden another one walks up and goes, who did this? And you shoot that one down. <laughs> And then another one walks up and goes, what happened here? You shoot that one down and another <laughs> one comes up and sees the steadily growing pile of corpses and goes, what happened here? It's kind of like that. I get that kind yeah, of feel Yeah, a little here. bit. Yeah, a little bit. Except if he keeps sending people through and they keep not coming back, he's eventually going to send through a whole lot of people right, and you're going to have an actual problem, Tokra. Right, but they're just like, kind of expecting this to be an easy solution. It's like, these aren't NPCs. Yeah, but they think it's going to be an easy solution because they don't take the the Towery yeah, series. They're, they're they don't take faith faith. They're like, oh, you're just you're children. So my final note for this episode is anyway, fuck the Toker acting like they're so different from the gold when they're still enforcing their will on others. My last note was going to be bitches. But, <laughs> but I actually my last note ended up being something else because that ending scene is great because as they you know the senators storm off, it's great because you see a couple of Tokra guards, you know, go into position and all I could think was can you imagine only living a couple of centuries and spending both of those centuries in, in the resistance, but as just, like, door guards? That would suck. Because it's, like, a limited population, yet you have... Can you just imagine your whole life is spent as just a fucking guard? So, yeah, that was my parting thought. Well, a lot of us had to have the fuck the toker thought. <laughs> right? No, seriously, fuck those bitches. God. Well, the good news is the episode's so bad, we didn't spend four hours on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Let's get through our... Our notes here. Yeah. Nobody died in this episode. Nope. No one even really tried that hard. No, 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 no. Are you a Jack or are you a Daniel? I am so Jack. Oh my god. I am I am the snark master. I, I feel Jack so hard in this episode. I'm Jack. 100%. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy all the little Daniel moments we right, get in right. this episode. But uh, I literally ended my notes for this episode by saying, fuck the Tokra. <laughs> So, I think I'm also Jack. Uh, so, what is our Joaquin Phoenix for this episode? Ugh. Um, honestly, I'm gonna have a thumbs down. I don't like it. Yeah, that's, I was, mm. I don't think I'm it's well made. definitely not giving it a thumbs up. I think the, the Tokra could have been terrible. introduced in a number of ways, and I think that it could, any one of them could have been better than this. I think this was a failure of an introduction, so I don't like it. There were so many clumsy things about this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. It's just not a good episode. Yeah, even even distancing my distaste for the Toker's attitude 
from this episode. The directing was abysmal. The flashback previously ons at the beginning of this episode that we've never had before were pointless. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, there's always a problem with, with two-parters where there's going to be a lot of exposition in the first one, but it's like, <sighs> come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, this, this episode just has... There's no excuse for how it was done. I don't think it was good. I think its only redeeming qualities were a couple of funny moments and the introduction of Martouf as a character. So it's not yeah, enough to save those, it. Pretty much all those redeeming qualities outside of Martouf as a character, mm-hmm. uh, all those redeeming qualities were from like the characters, the, the actors themselves. Exactly. So, yeah. From the actors trying to save this episode. Right? Just yeah, I, doing their jobs. I don't like giving thumbs down to Stargate episodes because honestly... I really like Stargate, but I I feel like I have to agree with you on this, man. I just don't like it. It's just not a good episode. At the end of the day, it has a lot to do setup-wise, but it does such a bad job with everything that I just don't care about the setup. I just don't... I just don't like the episode. Uh, I do also want to ask, uh, especially because I just really fucking hated it, how do you feel about putting Brad Turner on the Hall of Shame? You know, if you want to, I won't, I guess I won't fight it, but honestly, it's not, nothing about this was, like, the level of, like, the shitty multi-chops, nothing was super shaky cam, I wasn't really, like, offended by anything too much here. You know what, I'll hold off until we see how he handles the next episode. Yeah. Um, the cuts, I really, really hated the abrupt cuts. Yeah. To the extent to where I actually wrote a note about it. Right. But this is only the second episode we've seen with him. Right. Um, and I don't remember his directing being anything remarkable in Hathor either. Right. But. I don't remember yeah, anything. Yeah, I'll, I'll hold off on putting him in, in the Hall of Shame until we see Toker Part 2. That sounds fair. See if he can save himself any with it. So he did direct the next one too? Yeah. Okay, right, cool. I believe so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll see. Oh no, he's back for Touchstone as well. Why did I miss his name there? I don't. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Alright, so we actually are giving this a thumbs down. It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. See, it's like, we're allowed. It, it's okay. We can. There can be failure episodes. <laughs> yeah, we've got, to be great. fair, we've only given four bad episodes. Just wait till we get to season nine. <gasps> Dude, you know what? You know what's interesting? So, you know, this is Jonathan Glasner and Brad Wright's show, yeah? Yeah. Jonathan Glasner and Brad Wright both have a bad episode. No, oh, interesting. They were learning their show. Yeah. I mean, Brad Wright has a lot of really good ones, and Jonathan Glasner has three good ones. There we go. But it's really interesting that the showrunner, the only people who have bad shows in this in our list, are Jonathan Glasner, Brad Wright, and Catherine Powers. Interesting. Wait till we okay. get to season nine. Oh yeah, no, that's gonna be then an issue. thumbs down is gonna happen a lot. We're gonna probably have to readdress what we consider a thumbs down in season nine and season ten, honestly, because great acting from our people aside, those are some garbage episodes coming. Okay, I have an I have a question because apparently we I never put this in the the uh, the tab here. Did we thumbs up or mend the Knox? Because I apparently never put his rating in. I know it wasn't a thumbs down. I but think it was a thumbs up. I feel like I would have thumbs up the Knox because even though we hate the Knox, the episode itself is. Yeah, pretty good. I feel like it was a thumbs up. I feel like we were. I mean, I remember being pissed about some bad editing with like the, with them getting shot and stuff, but. But that was director. That's not the. Ep- oh yeah, because that was one of our sh- hall of shames. I think maybe. And I remember being pissed about the knife. No, we didn't actually hall of shame Charles Corell, but yeah, that whole fight 
directing was terrible. Yeah, I remember being but nice I feel with like the, the knife episode itself we enjoyed, even if the knocks drove us crazy. Yeah, I feel like it was thumbs up, but honestly, I don't know. I'm putting it as a thumbs. I can't up. remember I what happened yesterday. I don't one. know why you expect me to. I, I, I don't know, but I just, I was looking at this and I was like, oh, I never put Hart Hansen's. And I was hoping that I didn't mark Hart Hansen's because, like, he was one of those where he was one of many to work on it. Right. So I was like, let me go see and if I can figure it out just from that. But then I was like, oh no, he wrote that alone. Fuck. Right. How did we feel about that episode? <laughs> I think we liked it. That was a while ago, but I do believe we liked it. So, uh, that is the end. Awesome. Thank God, because now I have time to cook before I have to record my next podcast. Awesome. So, uh, next week, we are going to watch The Togra Part 2. Hopefully, Yay. it'll be more enjoyable than this one. So excited. You know what's funny is that, like, I will say, we haven't had that many, like, Part 1, Part 2 kind of things in, S- in Stargate SG-1. But the one I can really think of is, like, the end of Season 1 and the beginning of Season 2. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the beginning of season two's the the part two for that was stronger than part one. Okay. And if this winds up being the case for this as well, where the Toker part two is better than Toker part one, it's just going to be kind of funny to me because one of the podcasts I've mentioned that I listened to before is uh, Ranger Danger. Mm-hmm. And they have this pattern that they've noticed where anytime they get like two parters or even three parter episodes they'll get like really tentatively hopeful when they watch like the first one because the first one will actually be like pretty good and then it'll fall apart in the part two (laughs) so i think it's just funny that there seems to be like a reversal here where like stargate seems to just feel like they have to do all the build-up with nothing interesting happening in part one and then actually have things happen in part two i don't know we'll see we'll see i'm 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 hopeful i don't want to give i don't want to give uh jonathan glasner another i'd hate to have to boo him again but yeah i don't want to have to give him another bad mark so that's it for this week if you want to get a hold of us you can find me on twitter at it's mel not Liss, or our podcast twitter at point of origin pc you can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris, and until next time.